Luke chapter 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? And then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me. Doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, Everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But Jesus passed through the crowd and went on his way. The word of God. Please be seated. Last weekend, Becky and I attended uh, with several of you a, a great production at La Sierra University of the musical Into the Woods. Great production, fantastic cast. Um, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen Into the Woods, it's essentially a musical that weaves together a bunch of characters from fairy tales. There's Little Red Riding Hood and Cinderella and Jack and the Beanstalk and Rapunzel. And in this creative musical, it tries to sort of imagine what happens after the wishes and, and the quests of these fairy tale characters come true. What happens after the happily ever after? Fascinating, right? One of the great powerful themes in the musical is this caution, be careful what you wish for. And then there's this line that has been stuck in my head all week. It comes from the grand finale, the, the last song of the musical. It is this, careful the tale you tell, that is the spell. Hmm. The tales we tell, the stories we tell, right? They're never just stories. For human beings, some would argue the words like um, once upon a time, those words might as well be the beginning of a magic spell. They're powerful stories, right? And sometimes we realize that the, sta the, the stories we've been telling, the tales we've been telling, maybe have been casting the wrong spells. Uh, maybe they need some revision. Many of you saw this cartoon on social media uh, a while back. It is also fantastic. It goes like this. Only the prince's kiss could wake the sleeping princess from the curse. 
But the prince didn't really know this princess very well. And kissing a sleeping princess without her consent seemed totally messed up. So the prince turned around and ran, and the princess slept in peace. And everyone lived a happy and trauma-free life. And the girl says, that's not how the story goes. And he says, it is now. <laughs> Be careful the tales we tell. Stories matter. And so it's the stories that Jesus tells in Luke's gospel that we're listening to over these next several, six weeks up until Passion Week, four days with Jesus that's coming. And this week is a great example where one might caution Jesus, be careful the story you tell and the revisions you make. We're in Luke 4, we just heard. Everything is off to a great start in this story. Jesus has been baptized and he's showing up in his hometown to go to synagogue on a Sabbath. In Luke's telling, it's a kind of launch party for the public portion of Jesus' ministry that is about to begin. What better place to kick things off than in one's hometown? Several texts have already been read in the worship service, and now Jesus approaches the front to read from the scroll from the prophets. The attendant hands him the Isaiah scroll, and Jesus unrolls it, looking for the words that he wants to read from. He finds them. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And smiles break out in the crowd. They know this text well. Because the Lord has anointed me, he sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls up the scroll and hands it back to the attendant. And then he takes his seat in the large chair at the center where, where the speaker for the day would sit and begin a discursive conversation with those gathered. The, the men gathered. And Luke says, all eyes are fixed on him. And Jesus begins, today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. The smiles get bigger. There's whispering among the people. This is just the thing. They'd begun daring to dream. They'd heard about the wonders that Jesus had done in neighboring Capernaum, and they had started to wonder, could it be? Is Jesus, our Jesus, Joseph's son, is he the prophet for whom we have hoped? This is a good day for Nazareth. A part of me wonders if Jesus could have just stopped right here in the story, right? He has the people with him. It's the hometown crowd, the aunties and uncles that have helped raise him, the, the neighbors he's worked with, the people he's gone to synagogue week after week, they're with him. This could be his grassroots campaign organization, a motivated bunch. Nazareth pride would go a long way in the mission that Jesus is now embarking on. But Jesus doesn't stop here. Instead, he begins to prod this hometown crowd. No doubt, he tells them, you're going to quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. 
In other words, do for us here, your people, the same things that you've been doing, the favors you've been handing out to foreigners. Do it for us, your people. But prophets don't fare well in their hometowns, Jesus says. Okay. And then Jesus tells a story. Two stories, actually. Uh, Two stories from the beloved pair of prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And these stories that Jesus reaches for, these are beloved Bible stories. These are bedtime stories, right? You, You probably know them. Once upon a time, there was a famine in the land and a widow and her only son were running out of food. God sent prophet Elijah there. And, he, and Elijah asked for some food and asked the widow to trust God. And she did. And the oil and the flour never ran out. Once upon a time, there was an Israelite girl who was a servant for Naaman, the Syrian general. Naaman got leprosy and she told Naaman about the prophet Elisha from her home country. And Naaman went to the prophet who told him to bathe in the river seven times, which was strange, but Naaman had faith and did it and he was healed and he worshiped God. But Jesus apparently thinks these beloved bedtime stories need some revision, some re-emphasis, some some contemporary repurposing at, at least. Listen again to how Jesus tells these stories. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time, when it didn't rain for three and a half years, and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin disease in Israel during the time of the prophet Elijah, But none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian general was cleansed. You hear it, don't you? He leads, Jesus does. He leads with the part about how the prophets helped outsiders. And he makes clear it wasn't because there wasn't need in Israel. Oh, and there's more. In Jesus' hands, the first story is sort of like a tee up to the second story. See, there's, there's quite a bit going on here. In the first story, Jesus says the drought lasted for three and a half years. Some people will argue about whether that was the exact time that is, is listed in 1 Kings 17 where this story is told, but that part doesn't matter. The point is that three and a half years is a, a loaded phrase. It's kind of like dropping September 11 into a conversation. Suddenly everyone's on edge. Three and a half years is 1,260 days, 42 months. It's a time period that's given in Daniel 7 and Daniel 12, these apocalyptic visionary storytelling. Uh, It's the amount of time that the Syrian Greek general, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, occupied Israel, three and a half years. And that story is burned into everyone's mind about how he offered a pig on the altar of the temple. But then the Maccabees rose up, the Maccabees of Israel rose up and fought off this foreign occupier and gave freedom to Israel. It was the last time they had been free. So Jesus, in his launch party storytelling, just said the words, anointed, liberate the oppressed, 
year of Jubilee, three and a half years, September 11. And there's no way Jesus doesn't recognize the loaded nature of these terms. The crowd was with him. They were reaching for their flags, the balloons, the yard signs, maybe even their swords. Until Jesus says, there were plenty of widows in Israel, but the prophet Elijah helped an outsider. There were plenty of lepers in Israel, but the prophet Elisha helped Naaman the Syrian general. And suddenly, they're reaching for torches and pitchforks and looking for the nearest cliff. It's jarring, isn't it? A, a, a people gathered for worship suddenly wanting to kill the preacher. And the hometown preacher at that. And look, let's take a sympathetic view for a minute of this, of this situation. So, so imagine, just for a moment, those of you who may have gone to a launch party for an unnamed uh, local candidate for Riverside City Council. Imagine if you had shown up at the Hampton Inn with all the La Sierra folks gathered, the 92505 showing up for this. Imagine if you had heard the university president, the La Sierra University president, and the former La Sierra University president, and the lead pastor of the La Sierra University church give these wonderful, warm introductions of this unnamed candidate whom I am not endorsing during a sermon in church. <laughs> then imagine, as you're watching, you, you, you're seeing you're someone who's been a friend, someone who's been a classmate, a colleague, a fellow church member, someone who makes you proud to be part of La Sierra. Then imagine when this unnamed candidate begins his speech, he begins talking about some big vision for, for the city of Riverside. In fact, he's, he's, his vision is for higher education and the potential that it has. And he begins to talk about this, this huge funding he's aware of. There are programs in the city and, and he knows how to get access to this funding that would be transformative for higher education. And then imagine that he said, he, if elected, he would do everything in his power to get that funding for Cal Baptist. Torches and pitchforks, right? We're looking for the nearest cliff. That's exactly what was going on. Why did Jesus then have to push and prod this hometown crowd like that? The strangeness of this twist in the story, I think, pushes us to listen and look carefully for what Luke is up to in his gospel story. This opening story for Luke isn't just a story. Let's look closely for a moment. This first story of Luke's is packed full of references to the final story of Jesus in Luke's gospel, the passion, crucifixion, resurrection. Here's a few examples. In this first story, Jesus uses the word hometown twice. Do for your hometown what you've done for others. Uh, prophet isn't welcome in his hometown. The word is pat patris in Greek. It means hometown or it could mean home nation. Think patriot, patriotism. That's what's going on with this word. 
And of course, in Jesus' final story, there's this hometown nation, this crowd gathered demanding Jesus' death in front of Pontius Pilate. In this first story, the crowds take Jesus out to the crest of the hill where they want to kill him. In the final story, Jesus is led to the hill to be crucified. In this first story, Jesus quotes a proverb that says, heal yourself, which kind of means heal yourself and us. In the, next story, in the final story, the rebel on the cross says to Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. In the first story, Jesus passed through the murderous crowds. In the last story, Jesus dies and still passes through death itself. In the first story, when Jesus passes through, he then just goes on his way. And in the last story, after passing through death, we find Jesus on his way to Emmaus. He's still on the move. And then he leaves and he sends his spirit, which will be on the move with the new church that is on the move in Luke's next story, volume two, the book of Acts. And when the church in Acts is on the move, it's breaking boundaries and embracing Gentiles and moving out and out and out into the world that God so loves. And it's as if Luke has wrapped up the big story and packaged it into this first story of Jesus' hometown launch party in Nazareth. For Luke, the tension that we feel in Jesus' hometown sermon, this is the gospel. It's the announcement of, yes, good news for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. It's the announcement of the day of Jubilee, the final welcome into the, the world made whole by God. And it's the very real caution from Luke that those who expect God's favor to be limited to, to a special group of insiders, they just might find this gospel too much to bear. A caution that just when we think this story is not about us, that may be the moment we find ourselves reaching for torches and pitchforks and looking for the nearest cliff. This tension is at the heart of Luke's gospel story. Incredible good news of great joy for all people. We belong to God. And harder, incredible news of great joy for all people. They belong to God. What's more in Luke, it's less about how we need to open up our welcome and, and bring everybody in. Luke's way more upside down and topsy-turvy than that. It's, it's more like we need to go where they are and ask if they will let us in because that's where salvation is to be found. And I know it's a theme we repeat a lot around here, and this gives me pause. It gave me pause this week, wondering, are we stuck on a, in a rut? Are we repeating the same thing over and over? Is it too much? Because the tale we tell matters, doesn't it? 
The stories we rehearse and, and remember and repeat, they determine the kind of people we will be. But as I sat with this story this week, this week, church, was not just any week, was it? This week was a week in which we said goodbye to our 96-year-old friend, Shirley, who could occupy the second row and love everything that happened here, including drums and guitars and all of it, because she was here and she found this place to be home. This was a week in which we lost our friend and pastor, Stuart. This was not just any week. And as I thought about this story this week, it hit me. This is a story we've been telling for a very long time here. Not just a few years, not a couple decades, but a very long time here at La Sierra. When I walked into the church office this Wednesday morning, only a couple hours of getting the news about Pastor Stewart, I opened the door and looked at the wall that I see every single day of the week, and it hit me in a brand new way. It's this wall, it'll look familiar, because this is the graphics that we've had for, for years here at the church. This is words, these, these value statements about what our story is about. There's, there's service, and there's worship, and there's community, and all of it is infused by grace. All of it is possible by grace. Go to the next one, Zach. You remember this logo we've had for a number of years. Grace is the one thing that makes everything we do possible. And this is the work of Pastor Stewart. This is the thing he cared so deeply about. You heard Pastor Sam say earlier, this was the life work and contribution of Pastor Stewart to, to this La Sierra com community, to the, to the Seventh Avenue Church. And so later that day, I went back to Luke 4, and I read it again, and there it was, right in the story, and I've missed it a million times. And I suspect that Pastor Stewart would have caught it on the first time. It's right here, Luke 4:22, and this is N.T. Wright's translation. Everyone remarked about Jesus. They were astonished at the words coming out of his mouth, words of sheer grace. At the heart of the story are Jesus' words of sheer grace. And if we sum this story up into one sentence, it is this. They marveled at the words of grace that came from Jesus until grace became too much to take. One commentator puts it this way, and this sentence has grabbed me this week. It's in the worship guide. You saw it on the blog. The paradox of the gospel is that the unlimited grace it offers so scandalizes us that we are often unable to receive it. The bigness of the gospel, the good news about it, is the very thing that sometimes makes it almost impossible for us to open and receive. Grace is good news, and grace is scandalizing. And if we find that we are still scandalized by this story, then yes, it's time to read it again and again and again and again. 
the simple story of grace, the not at all simple story of grace, the big, huge, boundary-breaking grace that messes with our convictions about who belongs to God. Grace big enough that Shirley could face her final days and failing health without fear because she knew that she was safe in the embrace of God. And grace big enough that Pastor Stewart, that sweet teddy bear of a man who handed out more hugs than any of us knew what to do with, and probably kisses too, Grace so big that that gentle Pastor Stewart could indeed get moved to anger when he suspected that someone was trying to limit that grace. This is our story, La Sierra. Be careful the stories we tell. Be careful the tale we tell. For the tale we tell, it is the spell And as Into the Woods remind us, the children are listening. So may our story, may your story, may my story, may our story be grace. Big, boundless, reckless grace. Amen.